0: Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on
1: Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing.
0: We're sitting face-to-face today with Jo March, or as she's known in real life, Sutton Foster, currently starring in Little Women. It's the classic tale that every little girl grows up reading. Did you read that when you were growing up, Sutton? I didn't. Did not? Isn't that horrible? And you admit that in public. I do admit it. (laughs) You
2: know, I... I was familiar with the story growing Uh up, but I never actually sat down and read the novel. Um, I have thus read it Uh in preparation for doing the Broadway musical.
1: So none of the movies, none of the other versions? The first
2: movie I had seen, I guess, was the 1994?
1: Uh, Winona Ryder Ryder, Ryder and Susan Sarandon. Sarandon. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And that was the first time I was really uh, familiar with the story, and I remember sobbing and being very moved and very upset and um, thought it was just beautiful. And then when I heard that they were doing a musical of Little Women – I called my agent and wanted to find out any way I could become involved and then cut to a couple years later, and I'm playing Joe March.
0: Now, for the handful of women like yourself who may not have read it or the men who may not have read uh, the story or seen the movie, Little Women is set in the Civil War. It mm-hmm. has to do with uh, a mother and her four daughters. Mm-hmm. The mother, in this case, is played by Maureen McGovern. Yes. And you are the second oldest, your character, the second oldest of the oldest. daughters. And you're kind of a tomboy in the show.
2: Yeah, the father's at war, uh-huh. and... Um, it's a very it's a time of a time of war but us also um this family um is going through a a, a lot of a, a a bit of poverty as well and so jo march really sort of takes on the role of father she uh-huh. literally puts on his pants and his boots and decides that she is going to raise money for the family support her family um keep the positive outlook you know they put on these theatricals and and they are she's always trying to you know make everyone around her happy and content and um, she's a writer and she wants to sell her Stories and become a famous writer and give her sisters and her mother everything they've ever dreamed of. And so she literally, while her father is away, she becomes the man of the house.
0: And do you see her as a, as a feminist character? I mean, this was more than 100 years ago, long before feminism was ever a movement.
2: Well, the thing I think was amazing about Joe March is that imagine reading about this character in the 1860s when it was written I'm, as a woman when these types of you know, expressions were not the norm, mm-hmm. I can imagine she was this incredible role model and sort of an idol um, for young women, oh, a woman that wants – doesn't want to marry, that wants to um, become a writer and, and not just a, a teacher or a governess or the, the limits of that time. Mm-hmm. You know, she was this free thinker. Um, and, and so was Louisa May Alcott, the writer of Little Women, and just an inspirational character. I would definitely say, probably, arguably, the you know the first uh, literature, the feminist feminist in literature. Um, she's, uh, but still to this day, I think she's inspiring. In two thousand and five, you know, that- she's she's truly a woman, you know who is making a name for herself. And I think women today still need that type of inspiration. So do men. Everyone does.
0: Now, you, of course, yourself are quite young, so you were born in an era when nothing was forbidden for women to do, but your mother, your grandmother, your people before you. Oh, absolutely. Probably grew up in this era. What what sort of reaction do you get from people your own age or girls, you know, teenage girls, uh, younger than that, or even older women? What sort of reaction do you get from them about the show itself and about the message that it's sending?
2: I've received some pretty amazing letters from young women women my age, older women who have been like they are like they say they 've seen the show and have been unbelievably inspired, are like taking career changes, like changing their paths because they they 've been inspired by the message of the show um, young women too, I think that it 's really important to have such a powerful sort of um, role model mm-hmm. in, in this character, like showing this woman who's you know Willing to just break all the rules, really truly make a name for herself it 's been um, it 's been really really um, she 's also very inspiring to me as well to play her, but I think that 's been the most incredible ex- part of this entire experience
1: well you mentioned young women, and I was going to come to this later but There's the phenomenon that's being written about a lot these days of young women groupies for the young actresses of Broadway, yourself, Adina Menzel, Eden Espinosa. And I'm wondering how that experience, how much you're aware of that experience and whether it's different than when you were doing uh, Millie now that you're in Little Women.
2: Well, I started experiencing a little bit of it during Millie. Um, It it sort of took me by surprise because I – I don't, I don't know. I didn't expect it. And then to ha- receive, like, letters and then to have people waiting at the stage door, you know, repeatedly, sort of the same same type of fans. But then I also thought, okay, well, I was 14, 15, and if I had had the opportunity to meet my idols who, you know, if I could have met Leia Salonga or Patti LuPone and talked to them for a moment or if they had written me back or I, I – I, my mind would have exploded. But now I also feel like the young, you know, inspiring performers – of today have a new outlet, which is the internet, which has been, I think, has changed everything. When I was growing up in uh, Troy, Michigan, outside of Detroit, I had no real, no one in my circle was as passionate and freakish about musical theater. And if I had had the opportunity to go online and meet others who shared the same passion all across the country, and had like a forum where you could talk about it, or um, y- you know, and then and then even. I've had people that have met each other through the internet and then they, they come and they meet because they all have one thing in common. They're really big fans of Millie or they're really big fans of Little Women and they, they've they come and they all come to the show and they're like, oh, I'm from Florida. I'm from New York. I'm from California and they're from all over. But they met because they all have this one thing in common. So it
1: used to just be the Grateful Dead that got these <laughs> kind of fans and now it can be Sutton Foster. But
2: how – you know, it's – it's um I think it's important too. It's one of my I, – I was – I was growing up aspiring to do this. And, you know, I think that it's really important to show these young people that you can be, you don't have to compromise who you are and you can just work really hard and you can achieve. I was a 14-year-old girl from Troy, Michigan, and now I'm starring in a Broadway show. And so it's, um, and I'm pretty much the same dorky kid that I was when I was 14. But I, I feel like that it's important for me to show that, I didn't compromise my values or suddenly change into a different person to achieve what I wanted. And so um, I feel like that's an important uh, thing for me to show. Well, I
1: want to jump back now because something you said earlier went by very quickly, and I think there's much more of a story where you you commented that um, you told your agents you'd heard there was a musical of Little Women and if there was any way for you to be a part of it, and then you were. Uh, That that seems a simplification because – um, I'm wondering at what point you began to really be involved because this is a show that even went through changes of writers oh, yeah. along the way, well, and around. then they waited for you for a yeah, while. Yeah, so. it's been
2: around for a long time. You know, most shows nowadays, new musicals, there it's a like anything in development. It's a process, and it takes a long time to develop to get to the point where you are on Broadway or you are doing a full scale production. Um, I was aware of the show you know six years ago and just sort of had my ears up about it and um they made um they had called and asked my interest and was it the
1: producers was it the writers mm-hmm.
2: it was um the producers contacted us but it was primarily excuse me <clears throat> it was primarily um um the creative team the director susan Schulman, had seen me in millie and thought that i would be right for joe and they sent me a script and sent me the music on a CD. And I sat in between shows on a Saturday at Millie and read the script and listened to the CD and cried. And, and I thought, oh, it's just beautiful. And at that point, I was coming towards the end of my run with Millie. And I was really thinking about what I wanted to do next. And um, it just seemed like the right next move.
0: So the end of your run in Millie, which started in 2002, when were you leaving the show then?
2: I left in February 2004.
0: So you didn't have an awful lot of time between that and this. No, I didn't. You, you didn't have to kill time a lot.
2: Well, I, I worked on um, a couple of small projects. And actually, when the first day of rehearsal of, of Little Women started, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm delving back into this, another uh-huh. huge undertaking. But I also knew that it was some, um, you know, I think a lot of people hope for one role of a lifetime. And I feel like I've already had the opportunity to play two.
0: Well, Millie being the first role, being literally the first. first role of a lifetime, because yeah. you literally uh, pulled a Shirley MacLaine. You came out of the chorus mm-hmm. and became the star of the show. You had been performing as an ensemble member, and I think you were the the understudy, the standby the understudy. for Millie, understudy mm-hmm. for Millie. And then the people behind you decided to make a casting change, and suddenly you were on stage for the first time in a starring role. Well, it was yours. You had been uh, Eponine and La Miz for like one weekend, starring on Broadway. That was about it, right? Yeah. So here you are, suddenly in Millie. Between Millie and Little Women, it's been a fantastic three years or so for you, I guess.
2: Yeah. A lot has happened. A lot has happened. My (laughs) life is, you know, my life and my career have completely changed. Um, You know, I walk down the street and someone looked, Are you Sutton Foster? (laughs) And I'm like, Yes. (laughs) You know, I'm going, What are they going to do to me? (laughs) But, you know, it's, it's, um, it's everything I have two cast albums you know original Broadway cast recordings um, all of these things that I always wanted I've always dreamed of you know
1: there's a segue which is we really ought to probably play something from, from one oh, of those cast our, albums. Our we want to play something from, from well, the cast album of Little Women. Yeah,
0: yeah when we we'll do the most recent first, this is the music of Jason Howland and uh, the lyrics of Mindy Dickstein. And the show had been through a number of changes. And I, we were talking before we went on the air that, that we had been playing music from the, I guess you call it pre-production mm-hmm. CD, which I think you did last August, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over the summer last yeah. year. And there were only seven songs on it. And they had pretty much piano accompaniment. Suddenly, here you are with the brand new album which just has been released in stores recently with full orchestrations why don 't you pick a number from the you know one of your songs from the the cast album? Tell us a little bit about how it works in the show
2: well, at the end of um the first act of the mm-hmm. show um a lot of things have happened to joe march you know we're this is a um the entire story of little women Joe ages from sixteen to twenty she it 's a truly a coming of age story she becomes a girl and then By the end, she's a young woman. And at the end of the first act, it's really her declaration and it's her anthem to be more than she even herself thinks possible. And it's her yearning to be astonishing. And it's a song called Astonishing and it's it's a thrill every night to sing.
0: Astonishing, the act one closer from Little Women, which is currently running at the Virginia Theater, starring Sutton Foster as Joe March. Sutton, you mentioned a little while ago that uh, you've grown up in the era of the Internet and you've been exchanging emails and that sort of thing with people, like discussion groups and all that. You have your own website. I do. Which is?
2: Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I, I don't is even it, know the address. It, is, it, is it SuttonFoster.com? <laughs> it is not SuttonFoster.com. It's
1: www.geocities.com backslash Sutton Foster Online, or at least that's one that we've found yeah. for you. Or if you just it's Google Sutton Google. Foster <laughs> Online. If you Google yep. Sutton yep. Foster yep. Online, yep. you'll
2: find it.
0: Now, on the, on the website, you must get communication from people. Do you respond yourself to the emails that they send you?
2: Um, I, I don't often respond – Um via email because my own personal email address I try to keep sacred but uh-huh. I do respond to fan mail that I get at the theater uh, oh you do yeah I try to I try to you know my um, my dresser I'm very close with my dresser Julian we're we're very good friends and we'll have picnics in my dressing room in between shows and we'll go through the fan mail and, and read. we read every letter and um we really try to respond to to most of the letters that we get.
0: That answers the question I, I've often thought about. we,
2: <laughs> that we get. <laughs> that we, <laughs> and it is really for both of us. <laughs> especially
0: on Wednesdays and Saturdays when you have two shows. What do you do between shows? I guess that kind of answers in your case at least. Well,
2: I try to lay low. It's you know Doing one show is hard enough. Um, doing two is, is very difficult, especially the second show. Um, so in between, sometimes I go out. Sometimes I walk out and meet a friend for dinner. But most of the time I stay in and um, I eat dinner and, and just uh, try to Lay low, read a book, Try watch some television. Yeah.
0: Well, you're on stage a good deal of the time in Little yes, Women. Yes,
2: very much and very active. <laughs> very, very demanding part. Very demanding.
0: What's the most fun of the part, do you think?
2: Um, I think her um, her spirit and her and the physicality and the energy. Um, I I really love sort of pouring my whole sort of self into the characters that I uh-huh. play. I've been really lucky. Both Millie and Joe have been incredibly physical and um, and uh, I've been able to sort of they're both kind of Joe, especially, is very is kind of messy and it's it's literally like a a, a young deer trying to take her first steps and like uh. or a colt trying to learn how to run and um, it's a uh, it's really exciting. I, I I love that idea of um, going on a journey with a character too at the top of the show. Uh, You, I don't know where she's going, but ultimately I do. But I can just sort of get on the train and let it take me. Well,
0: because you've kind of read the scripts, you and well, yeah,
2: (laughs) and I did it the night before. But it's it's um it's really it's kind of like a ride, and I it's one of the reasons why I love doing eight performances a week because I get the chance to sort of improve upon what I did the night before every every night.
0: How similar are Sutton Foster and Joe March or Millie for that matter? How how much do you resemble the characters you play
2: well um i've you know I've been really lucky both Millie Dillmount and Joe March are very strong women. Millie's sort of objective was to marry her rich boss and to basically that was what. She thought would be would make her truly modern and independent in a weird way. Well, that was back in I the know. nineteen twenties, <clears throat> yeah, right? Yeah. And then, of course, Joe March is doesn't want to marry. She wants to become a writer, make a name for herself, and support her family. And I think, as far as like my own mo, I'm similar to Joe March. Sutton is. Um, I also grew up very much tomboy. You know, my priorities were not fashion or makeup or, you know, I was always the one coming in with scraped knees and running around pinching the boys and, you know, trying on the swing sets and the trampolines and inviting my friends over. And I literally would force my friends into making music videos, murder mysteries. I have videotapes and I would, literally forced them (laughs) it was so horrible i'm like okay you're all coming over to my house you all have to wear a costume and i've written a um a murder mystery i'm the murderer and i'm gonna kill you all and then i'm gonna kill myself and i have documented i have (laughs) these documented and they're like ridiculous but i i was always very um theatrical and very uh, creative, uh-huh. and and so is is Joe March.
0: So the number that opens Little Women, An Operatic Tragedy, where yes. basically Joe March is staging with her sisters and One of her blood and guts stories yeah, yeah. that she, written, uh, that's she wrote. That's kind of similar to you in real life is from what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Well,
1: absolutely. It, as we're talking about you growing up, you you seem to have made a fairly quick leap from theatricals in the family home into working professionally, and you, you talk about putting this stuff on. Now, we, we should mention that your brother... Yes. Is also an actor as well as a writer. He and is. And was that manifesting itself at the same time that you were doing – you were a tomboy? or Abs- Absolutely. How did this all,
2: well, Hunter was always sort of the writer of the family. He's always had a passion for writing. And when we were growing up um, – he's also older than I am, so he was six years older. Um, but as we were growing up, we, were, we became – sort of our outlet was really theater. Um, my father worked for General Motors. My mom was a homemaker – so we really didn't have a background in theater or performing or entertainment and we just we found the theater to be this very safe wonderful place where we fit in and we belonged and we could express ourselves and we both you know we became involved in high school theater and community theater um and And then it sort of naturally, freakishly segued into working professionally. Well,
1: how'd you get the first professional job?
2: My um, mom found a clipping in the Detroit Free Press for the first national tour of the Will Rogers Follies. They were coming to Detroit to audition for the Chorus of Girls. Now, about three weeks earlier were the Tony Awards. And I, of course, watched them with my mom and my dad. And... They did "Favorite Son" from the Will Rogers Follies. The line of girls doing um, the intricate hand and the the tambourine hats, and and I was mesmerized. And you're how old? I was 16, and I turned or just turned 17.
0: And you had been doing in high school? Yes, you had been doing some I'd work. been
2: doing, but no real professional work. Uh-huh. And I turned to my mom, and I was like, I could do that because I was tall. I was a dancer. I could sing. I was 17, <laughs> but I was like, I could do that. And then about three weeks later, she saw the article in the paper. She's like, they're looking for the girls for the national tour. And I was like, well, it must be a joke. Why would they come to Detroit? And she said, well, here it is. And um, so we went down to the Fisher Theater in Detroit, Michigan. My mom and my dad and me, they sat in the audience. And I went up on stage. And Jeff Calhoun was there because he was the associate choreographer for Rogers Follies. And he taught us. There were about maybe 50 girls from the Detroit area on the stage. And they taught us a combination. We did the combination. We all had straw cowboy hats on. And they made a cut. And then we, I was kept. And then I was sang. And they made another cut. And they basically asked two, two girls. And Jeff Calhoun came up to me and said, how old are you? And I said, I'll be 18 on my next birthday. <laughs> but I had just turned 17. And he goes, keep, keep, um, keep dancing. And I'll see you in New York.
0: Hmm.
2: And about a week later, I got a call and they flew me to New York for a callback. First time I'd ever gone to New York. Myself, my mom, my dad, and my brother, we all flew to New York. Oh, we actually we drove. <laughs> we drove to New York. The first Broadway theater I ever walked into was the stage door of the Palace Theater.
0: Huh.
2: And the first Broadway, I stood on the set of the well, Rogers Follies on the, at the Palace Theater with Tommy Toon, Cy Coleman, Jeff Calhoun in the audience. They taught us the combinations on the steps of the the Will Rogers. I remember I was wearing like long sleeve leotard, like long, like biker shorts. And someone came up to me and they're like, can you wear more of a leotard? You know, and I was like looking around. I was just, I was like a child. And there were all these women around me. And I was like, okay, sure. And then there was another, the next day was like the final sort of presentation. And they they had picked um, girls from all across the country. So There were probably about 50 of us there, and they did – we did combinations on the steps, and, and they made a cut, and then we sang, and they made a cut, and then we danced again, and they made a cut, and then they had – there were like 24 of us, and they stood us in a line across the front of the stage, and they asked six girls to leave, and there were 18 of us on the stage, and Tommy Toon said, you are the cast of the first national tour of the Will Rogers Follies. And I was like, "What am I doing here? How did I get here?" And, I was and you hadn't even seen the show yet. Never seen you? the show. Yeah. Seventeen years old.
0: And then you were you? Did you were but you I was to,
2: inspired by the Tony Awards. Were you we, able? We like <laughs> <laughs> were you able to
0: graduate from high school then? I or, did graduate.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I had to ask permission from my principal if uh-huh. I could go on tour. <laughs> <laughs> they, I was. A, you know, in all the shows. So they, they knew that this was something that, that you really I wanted. really wanted. Yeah. And, of course, my parents knew that I really wanted, and they let me go. And um, I was able to finish high school through correspondence.
0: So yeah. did your parents ever say to you, well, have something to fall back on, like get a teaching degree just in case this the showbiz s- thing doesn't work they out? They
2: never did. Really? Oddly, I think they believed more in me than I believed in myself, mm. um, which is rare, I think. You know, they just they really saw – they really were – Unbelievably supportive, never pushy, you know. But they were very, very supportive about about me really um, going full throttle, you know. And uh, I, I feel really lucky. They've been they've been amazing.
0: Well, they probably knew that you had it in your heart that you really wanted yeah, to do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What what sort of professional training had you had at that point when you were seventeen? Had you been taking dance lessons? I've been lessons? taking
2: dance lessons since I was f- like four years old, uh-huh. um, and primarily most of my experience was uh training was through it just experience from doing shows i'd never really taken voice lessons i take them now um i started taking voice lessons really before i started doing millie um because i knew it would be uh, a very difficult undertaking Uh to do such a large large role but um uh most of my training has been just Learning as I go.
0: Now, what year was this you went on tour and then between then and 2002 when Millie opened on Broadway, what was going on in your life between the tour of Will Rogers and and Millie? Right.
2: I I went on tour, um, 92, 93 Mm -hmm. and, um, the tour played Detroit, Michigan when I, um, graduated high school. So I was able to walk with my class Wow! and they gave me a night off to go to my prom. (laughs) (laughs) It was ridiculous, you know? (laughs) So, um i went I left the tour to go to college I went to Carnegie Mellon and then after a year, I left because i wasn't ready to learn anything and I was nineteen years old and I was you stubborn had a taste and, of touring the I know country, and, and yeah. i and you know it's like i i i didn't want anyone telling me what to do or how to you know i was i was 18, 19, I wish I could go back now because now I want to learn everything but at eighteen you're like big headed and stupid and you know you don't know you don't even know what you want and I moved home with my family and they, they at that time they were living in um Memphis, Tennessee. I lived there for about eight months, had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I was looking at schools. I was thinking, I'll go study biology. I was like, what else did I like? You know, I was like, what else did I enjoy? But you hadn't
1: just decided you were ready to move to New York and start auditioning, even after that national tour experience?
2: I was totally – I had no – I was sort of lost, you know? I mean, I think every – Everyone sort of goes through that. I, well, yeah, I think certainly it's at natural. that age, a lot of people don't know what they wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, and I didn't know, and I didn't know if I could handle it because yeah. it's it's terrifying, you know. It's there's it's like the unknown, you know. So after about nine months living with my parents, I decided to go visit my brother, and he was doing Greece, the the revival of Greece with um, Rosie O'Donnell in,
1: in New York. In New
2: York, so I flew. Also,
1: up, Jeff Calhoun show.
2: Also, Jeff Calhoun show, and this is. The story. So I flew up to visit my brother and they were having an open call for the national tour of Greece. And I decided to go. (laughs) And the night before, Hunter and his um, wife Jen Cody, who's also in the business, and was also in Greece, taught me like the dance combination. So Uh I'm in their apartment, I'm learning the dance combination (laughs) for Greece, like preparing to go in for this open call. And I go in and get kept and i sing and at the end of my song and of course jeff calhoun is there and he's like how are you i haven't seen you in forever you know and i'm like i know they hired me on the spot for the first for the national tour of greece i burst into tears because here i am 19 lost i had no idea what i wanted to do i fly up i go on this for a whim and it's as if the universe was like here
1: Hmm. and in four
2: days i was in san francisco on the national tour of Greece, which I stayed with for a year. And then I was an understudy for Marty, Rizzo, and Sandy, and then eventually played the role of Sandy. And then they asked me to play Sandy on Broadway for three weeks, and I made my Broadway debut playing Sandy in Greece on Broadway.
0: Wow. It must have been so exciting then to be on Broadway in a show. With my brother. And working. And with your brother. So
2: my first bow on a Broadway stage, my first curtain call, my brother was next to me. Because that's the hands. way yeah. it was set up, set up. So I was like, how did this happen? <laughs> you know? So it was really cool.
0: Wow, that really if somebody were to write that, you'd say that would never happen in real life. I know.
2: It's so, it's it's I, I every day I realize how lucky I am. Very, very lucky. Well you
0: know, people listening who aspire to be in the business must think, boy, this sounds so easy. She's no. seventeen she gets <laughs> I know. She's nineteen, she gets Well it's sad. a
2: lot of you know, it's a lot of um a lot of luck. Mm-hmm. Um it some talent but a lot of tenacity a lot of nerve I mean I and you have to be fearless like I I was I went to this audition you know and just I wasn't afraid you know now after Greece, um I did the 20th anniversary of Annie and then the Scarlet Pimpernel and I was pretty working I was working pretty consistently after that um Les Mis came next and then and then
1: But Millie is a very different story than we spoke earlier where in the case of Little Women, of course, it was you'd expressed interest. They expressed interest in you. They even waited a little while so they could accommodate your schedule. You were at that point a Tony Award winner. Right. Uh, It was very. People
2: were asking me my opinions on things, as opposed to me begging people to give me a job.
1: A slightly different story with With Millie. Millie. Yeah. So tell us about coming into Millie.
2: Well, Millie, I had heard again. It was one of those things I had heard through the rumor mill that they were thinking about turning *Thoroughly Modern Millie* this movie into into a stage musical. And again, I called my agent and said. I've heard that they're doing this musical of Millie and if they're, you know, having any auditions. He's like, I haven't heard anything about it. And about three weeks later, he called. me like, you're right, they are. And you want you have an audition. You're going to go in and audition. And it was for a reading, like very, very beginning of the reading. And I it was terrible. It was horrible, horrible, horrible. But somehow they gave me an ensemble slot. And I was like, oh. So I sat in the back and I was so excited and I thought it was so funny and I thought it was just amazing. And, um, and then they, they saw something in me sort of in the back, you know, I was in, when, and usually in readings, there's like the front row of chairs are all the principals and in the back row are the ensemble members and somehow the creative team saw something in me because when they were doing the next sort of round of workshops, they called me in for Millie and I was like, really? And I wanted it so badly. And I, sometimes when you want something so bad, you, you can't, you can't even do it because you want it so badly. So I, I basically just overshot it because I wanted it so bad. Mm-hmm. And um so they didn't hire me for Millie. And um and I was like, "Okay, okay, okay." And then another round came. They were doing the La Jolla production and they called me back in to do Millie again.
0: But you were already hired for the ensemble at this point. I wasn't. Oh, you yeah, that was just for no, work. workshop. That was just a
2: workshop. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So I, it just it's just sort of I'm just sort of, I guess it was a long process of auditions. I mean, I must have auditioned over like seven times. And in
1: the midst of this, I'm they doing were doing various readings and workshops with various people attached to Kristen different people. Chenoweth was involved mm-hmm. at one point. Lots of people. So. And I was
2: doing Les Mis on the road, so I was flying in from the road to audition. And I auditioned in LA. They did some auditions in LA and I flew back to New York and I remember once I missed a flight and I'm crying in the the airport because I, I couldn't get there to audition and I wanted it, you know. It's crazy like what, what I went through sort of to be seen for the show. And then the way it all turned out. But
1: finally, the La Jolla production, La Jolla, the first and I, production. I auditioned
2: and again for Millie and was down to like the very end, you know, between me and like five other women and didn't get it. And I was disappointed. And I was walking around the city one day and I called my agent and I said, you know, if they need an understudy, I would be thrilled to do it. And he was like, I'll call them. Five minutes later, he said, they would love you to be the understudy. And I said, that would just be great. Hmm. And then about – I'd done finished the road of, of Les Mis at that time. So then about about a month later, Les Mis called and said, we want you to play Eponine on Broadway permanently, offering me the highest salary I'd ever been offered. And I, it was like a dilemma, like take the the secure permanent job or take the risk of the understudy
0: <laughs> or, or take the, the case of a show that is running successfully on Broadway versus one that may never, even, that make they it never Broadway. even make it right
2: again we're adding more good stuff to the story that absolutely mm. no one will believe and something in my brain I turned down Les Mis and took the understudy in Millie wow. and I, that the rest is sort of history.
0: Well, the, the history maybe maybe you're too modest to bring it up. Is they decided the person they had cast wasn't right for the part, and they offered you then the role. Yeah. And here they were bringing a show valued at close to ten million dollars to Broadway. I didn't quite realized until with like, a, after unknown, we had opened <laughs> With an unknown name, yeah. and the the creative people are saying to the financial backers, "Trust us, <laughs> yeah, know, this girl is going to be okay." I believe
2: That they did, you know, right. and they, it's it's um, you know, when I when we. When I, got, when I won the Tony, but then, of course, then the Tony Awards and then winning the Tony, Shirley MacLaine... Sent me a bouquet of flowers (laughs) that said, "From one understudy to another."
0: (laughs) How sweet! (laughs) Yeah, and I was like,
2: "What is my life?" You know. Well,
0: when when did you wake up and realize the pressure that was on you, the weight you had on your shoulders? You were the day after we opened. The day after you opened. In other words, uh, you were going through all the all the tryouts, all the rehearsals, all the work, getting ready for it. Suddenly, you open, and then what happened? That next day, you read the notices, the reviews, the reviews,
2: and then like everything. All of a sudden, my name is everywhere. People love me. People hate me. It's like, you know, you're like, huh? Like, oh, my gosh, people are writing about me. People are talking about me. My I don't know how I can handle it. And then I went, like, psychotic for, like, a couple days. Uh-huh. But then I was like, oh, my gosh, $10 million. I've been writing on my shoulders. I had no idea. Panic! You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it was, um, I, I think the the, t- the entire two years of Millie were, I can look back on it now and say, wow. Like, look at that. Look at it, when I was going through it, it was very surreal, very much a blur. You know, I was probably more insecure than ever. So doubtful, you know, but those are just things when you all of a sudden achieve success, those are just the ulti- you know, ultimately you're like, how do you deal with it? You know? And, um, it's, uh, it's, it was a very intense situation, a lot of pressure. Um, but ultimately, you know, really, uh, Worthwhile. <laughs>
0: of course, as Howard mentioned, you did get the Tony from Millie, and you got rave reviews and uh, packed the House all the time. The score was a very bright, bouncy, 20s-feeling score. Yeah. And you had a lot of good numbers in the score. A you can tell I'm leading inverse. up to saying we should play another song.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, um, when we were in La Jolla um, – this is another good story. When we were in La Jolla, um, they had this 11 o'clock spot number in the show, and they hadn't written a song And um, for it. And so whenever we'd get to it in the run, they would just stop and we'd jump to the next And say, eventually there will be something here. This was a week before we started previews. And it happened – there was was someone else playing the part and then I took over. Mm -hmm. And um, after I took over, about three days after that, Janine Tesori and Dick Scanlon, who were – Janine wrote the music. Dick Scanlon wrote lyrics and the book for Millie. They said, we've written a song. And we've written it for you, and we want you to hear it. And I was like, okay. And they invited me to the lobby of the La Jolla Playhouse, and Janine Tesori played me the first version of "Gimme, Gimme," which is the eleven o'clock number in Millie. And I taped it, and I have a tape recorder of the first time she ever sang it for me. You know, and I'll always have it. And I was like, my jaws to the floor. I was so excited. It had to go into the show, like, in two days, and they had written it in, like, 15 hours, like something crazy, and um, it ended up becoming um, quite, uh, quite a song to be remembered and was by far my favorite part of the show.
0: A thoroughly modern Millie, gimme, gimme. That was such a wonderful story leading in how they wrote it for you. When you stopped and think about it, as as you were telling us that a moment ago, I was thinking, well, yeah, um, Irving Berlin used to write songs for Ethel Merman. You hear of other, you know, legendary stars having songs written for them because the songwriters knew their capabilities, knew their personalities, knew what they wanted. That has to be quite a thrill for you. When did the import of that sink in on you, at the time they wrote it, or sometime later?
2: Well, I remember putting it in my car, like, Leaving that rehearsal and putting it in my car and sort of listening to it over and over again and thinking, they just wrote a song for me. No one's ever written a song for me. It's like perfect. I can't believe it. You know, um, I, I think a lot of all of this really sunk in sort of this year. <laughs> it seems so weird. But, you know, when you're going through it, it's, you know, you, as a young girl, it's like you, you dream of these things and you put them so far up on a pedestal, you think that they're never going to be attainable. You know, even winning a Tony Award, I would practice my speech in my bedroom and think about what I would say, and I would be weeping. And oh, it's you know. And then when it happens, it's this very surreal thing. You know, you really don't. You, and then next thing you know, you have a Tony in your house, and so you're like all, all of the things that happen in between the Tony sitting above your computer. It's it's all kind of a blur. That's where the Tony you know, is above the, it's above the computer. It's being attacked <laughs> by. Uh, I have like a, a Darth Vader lightsabers, one side of it, and then some other scary action figure is getting the other side. That's
1: how we always think of them being stored in our the <laughs> theater, <laughs> theater wing. That's exactly what we envision. Let me ask. It feels like we've we've been talking so much about how you got where you are and, and the experience of that. and you've obviously stayed very level headed in all of this, but you did burst on the scene i mean you 'd been working for ten years, but for most people because you 'd been touring you 'd done smaller yeah. roles and shows there there is that experience of suddenly casting directors know who you are television people even did you have that burst of of that and does that still go on now of of people constantly coming at you with new projects and You've obviously chosen to stay right now with, yeah, with, with stage, and In are those other opportunities there, and do you do you want to grab them at some point?
2: Well, it was interesting, actually, when Millie happened, you know, for the first time, I'm meeting with people that, I'm, that scare me, you know, a lot of television, a lot of movies, all of those things, and um, I had to really think about what I wanted and what I wanted my career to be, and again, I sat down with my agents, and we had to decide, and um, I really decided that my passion was theater, so... Um, I had turned down a, quite a lot of things actually to stay um, doing theater.
0: Now you mentioned before that you had worked with your brother Hunter Foster before. What, what's it like working with with your sibling in a show?
2: You know, Hunter, we've had the opportunity of doing two Broadway shows uh-huh. together. We did Greece and we did Les Mis together mm. for about three days because we were he was leaving as I was coming in. Um, you know, Hunter and I obviously were brother and sister. We grew up together. We did shows together as kids, and now we're both in the theater community successful and working and to be able to work together and even just to be working and to be able to go how this is amazing and i'm just so proud of him i think he's exceptional i think he's unbelievably talented and i just feel really lucky that we're both we've both um you know made names for ourselves and that we're doing both doing so well and um and it's exciting to work with hunter i think he's unbelievably talented when i work with him he's my he's a um He's a great actor, and also my brother, but he's a great actor.
0: But two people from the same family, both very successful. What advice would you give to young people coming up in the business now who want to get into theater, let's say?
2: Oh, um, take as many opportunities as you can. Um, The best experience that I ever got was through learning as I went. Try to just really learn from the people that you admire. Um, And, uh, you know, again, it's a lot of luck. But a lot of tenacity, fearlessness, and talent. Train, work hard, and really believe in yourself more than anyone else does. And um, and uh, and it's a lot more. It's it's a lot of work, but it's it's worth it in the end.
0: And on that note, I think it's a good point to say, yeah. Sutton Foster on Downstage Center. Thank you so much for being with us
1: today.
2: Thank you. This is I had a really nice time. Likewise. But- Thanks.
1: For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available for free, on demand, online from www.Americantheaterwing.org
0: And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John von Susten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you.